Hello, I'm Lee West. I'm Senior Minister of Rafa International. Uh, just welcome you new listeners to us. We're going to be talking about the uh, some some things about intercourse today, intercourse. And I'm delighted to welcome you new listeners to us. We're excited about what's happening uh, to Rafa on the podcast. Glad to have you with us. I want to point out that uh, Rafa is a Pentecostal ministry. Now, I don't say that to separate us from all the other ministries that are valid uh, going on around the world and certainly in the United States. But I do have some points to make that it's my, it's my conviction that in this end times, which I believe we're entering into, if you don't have the Pentecostal persuasion operating in your life, that's what's depicted there in Acts chapter 2 with the evidence of speaking in tongues, which is basically a, a power endowment factor in, in the Christian movement. It certainly should be at least the third thing that happened in a Christian life. Salvation, baptism, water baptism by immersion, and then I believe the Pentecostal experience in Acts 2 will, will set you there because that's where you're going to get power in the spiritual area. And in these coming days, friend, if you don't have spiritual power, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. So I encourage you, new listeners, to go to Rafa Ministries World. Rafa Ministries World, and there you're going to find a plethora of information that is free to you that's going to help you grow in Christ and mature in your spiritual walk. And I just, it'll all be done from the Pentecostal uh, persuasion. Now, that's not meant to separate you. It's meant just to give you an additional war chest that you can use in the spiritual area, which you're going to need in these end times. Now, I haven't said one thing about this since we've been in, in any of our podcasts, but I believe that the Holy Spirit prompted me to say to you that uh, if you would desire a, uh, an additional blessing in your life, if you want to make a gift to Rafa, you can go to that website, Rafa Ministries World, and there you will find a place where you can give us a gift, primarily a monetary gift. Uh, now, I'm not begging for money. You get that. I'm not begging for money. God's going to, he's taken care of us for over decades, and he's going to continue to do that. I only say this, but it will be an aid to us, but it will be a blessing to you that you did not expect. And God is a blesser. And so that's a wonderful thing. So if you'd like to do that to our new listeners, and some of your old ones hadn't heard that from me before, but uh, but that that's really uh where, what the only reason I have to say that? Okay, about intercourse. In the, in the last number of decades, the whole world has become brainwashed. Brainwashed. Uh, when people hear the word intercourse now, their mind, because of the brainwashing that's taken place through the media, through all of the social activity like movies and programs, they're, they're totally sold out to this type of uh, sexual agenda. And so they have slowly transitioned to people's brains that when they hear the word brainwashed, the people automatically start thinking something sexual, a sexual uh, intercourse. So the the brains of people are beginning to be changed and brainwashing began to become spiritual 
during the Korean War. It came forth as a physical activity, but those of us who can look behind the scenes, we can begin to see the birthing and the growth of the spiritual aspect of this. Now, China brought their agenda into existence by using North Korea as a puppet in the 1950s. In, in World War II, when World War II ended just five years before in 1945, by 1950, uh, the Korean War was uh, beginning. And that's where the brainwashing thing, we first started finding that type of a, uh, an attack on our military people who were shot down or captured during the Korean War. In that, in that period of time. But that was instigated and propagated by the Chinese communists through the uh, North Korean army and its leadership in the 1950s. So communist China, they began this process and it was the brainwashing mechanism of, uh, based upon the teachings of Lenin and Marxism. That's where that was. That was, uh, of course, that was twenty or thirty years before their their agenda. But it was being propagated in through the communist uh, Chinese. And that's that's what they do. And if you look around now, you can see these things even now. But I'm going to be bringing that up a little bit later. Brainwashing became spiritual in this country, and and started to take on its, its impetus when when Obama became was sworn in in 2008. He, he accepted and stated the swearing in of allegiance to the United States, but that he wasn't in his mind, he was not swearing allegiance to the United States, the God of the Judeo-Christian God of the United States. He was just mouthing the words because he, he was in effect from all his actions indicate that he was swearing to his God, allegiance to his to continuous allegiance to his God, Allah. And Allah is a lie. To the Islamic people who may be watching this, who have a, a, an inkling of, of uh, error, there's no such uh, entity, certainly no such person as Allah. The black people thought they were getting a savior with Obama. But all they, they were not getting a savior. They were getting a bondage propagator in, in clothing. And, but he, he, he gave a warning. I'll give him that. He, he warned the people that he was advocating a change. Well, that began to happen. And that began to happen. If you look back, you can see the proliferation of it since 2008. You notice I don't re refer to him as Mr. President, Mr. or President, because I don't think he deserves the distinction of either. I think he has sinned uh, that away. He's violated his, any oath of office that he, he took, and I believe that he will go down in U.S. history, if we are allowed to have a history, as things start to come to a close, he will go down in U.S. history as the second worst president this country has ever had and Biden is going to end up being the worst. Okay, I had to get that out of the way. Now, uh, now thinking about the word intercourse, as I, I've said people, mine has been brainwashed, but intercourse is not a dirty word. It's a word 
that indicates a dialogue. The, the, to break it down and dissect it, the inter part of intercourse is just something that is mutual. It is an interrelated course. The items, talk, dialogue, and course there, it, it just indicates the, the base meaning of it would be something that is normal behavior or a path that a person has taken, believes in, and propagates. It is a simile like a, uh, like a compass to a navigator. It's a thing that keeps the one focused on a point that they're, that they're proceeding toward. It is a uh, it's prefix. The prefix to inter intercourse determines its meaning and its transition. I know I heard the story one time of a of a farmer who was plowing the field, and as most farmers do, he desired to play to plow a straight furrow. And what he had found to do was the same thing an navigator does. The farmer fixed his gaze at the end of where he wanted to be. He picked a tree or or a, or, or something there that he could focus on. He realized where he was, and then he positioned a point in his past. And he put himself in a direct line between the future and the past, and he plowed toward the first one, keeping himself in that line. So that that's what it means to be moving uh, a course, a interrelated point that is, that is a course to the one who is in a dialogue, and it is a dialogue situation. The intercourse is a dialogue. Now, believers can have intercourse with the Father God. When we think about this intercourse, I just want to go back and make some statements about that, that we, we can understand this as that type of a dialogue, that meaningful, warm dialogue that we can understand between a husband and a wife. They can have this type of a intercourse, not sexual, an intercourse, a dialogue. It's that hidden agenda that only a husband and a wife can have. Two females can't have that. Two males can't have that. Two unsaved people can't have that. A saved and unsaved person can't have that. Only a God-ordained husband and wife can have that. They can have, a person can have a dialogue in a semblance with a close friend. It, it doesn't have to be sexual at all. They can just have a friend with whom that they have an agenda that they can talk about and they can banter, they can toss ideas and thoughts at one another and there's no anger. Nobody gets mad because they, their point of view may be uh, contested. It's, it's just they can have a dear friend. It's a wonderful thing to have a friend that you can go to and have a, a, an intercourse with that uh, that is a wonderful dialogue. There's times in our life when a chance to meeting, maybe it's in the marketplace, and maybe it's when you're traveling, the person next to you in a seat on an aircraft as you're traveling one place to another. Maybe you're just sitting in the restaurant, you happen to strike up a conversation, and suddenly you realize 
that, that you're in the presence of a person who shares your innermost feelings and, and your desires, and they're searching as you are searching. They have things that you can learn from them, and you, you have things that you can learn from them and things that they can you learn to you. We can dialogue, and there's no anger. It's just an exchange of warmth, and you come away from those things with a delightful, open situation in your soul. It's just an, a, a sweet encounter. Now, the unsaved cannot experience this type of a dialogue. Their dialogue is always based on flesh. It's based upon greed. And in the final analysis of male to female, there's always a prefix of sexual intercourse that is in the mind of, certainly in the male, because there's there. They're the pursuer. They're the, the, the one who sets the, the agenda and the female. She's going to be drawn into that one who is alluring. So the unsaved cannot have this type of a dialogue because they have, have a hidden agenda. They can only experience a pseudo intercourse, a neo intercourse. They can't have the real thing. The unsaved always end up with some type of a sexual intercourse agenda. It's either fornication or adultery, fornication by a couple of single people or fornication and adultery, either by uh, a unsaved person and, 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 and uh, one, I mean, un, uh, an unmarried person and adultery with an adultery situation with a, uh, a married person, or it can be adultery by two married people who are sinning. They can perform the act, but they cannot enjoy the intercourse, the sexual intercourse, because they can't have that dialogue. They can never have that. No matter what sweet words they say and how tender words they say and how they caress, they can never have that valid, true intercourse dialogue. Only married believers can have sexual intercourse. All the others, it is a false because God is at the center of their intercourse dialogue and it's always based upon the foundation that God is involved at the foundation of their relationship in instituting his, what they call agape love. It's all, that's always the foundation between believers love. It's there in a marriage relationship. It's, it's a cement that bonds them together, and it should be the drawing cement that's in, in two believers as they start to date. And no believer should be dating an unbeliever. It just shouldn't happen. It's going to be problems every time, and neither should they unite themselves in, a, in matrimony because it can't be holy matrimony. It's going to be unholy matrimony if one is unsaved and the other is saved. And the dominant thing is, is if a saved woman marries an unsaved man, it's going to be terrible. They're going to have an agenda that they're going to have to overcome. Okay, I just needed to get all those things out of the way. Believers can have intercourse with Father God. They can have this type of an intercourse with their father God because he is their father as believer. He is their father. This dialogue comes through their unilateral prayer. It comes with a 
dialogue prayer is based upon his promises and what his word has to say because he cannot lie through his word. It is based on the fact that he will answer. And out of his answer, there will be an interpeace. God always is wooing his creation. He's always wooing and drawing people to himself. He says to all of his people, to the saved, because this is more real to them, but he also makes this statement to the unsaved people. And I'm quoting now. It says, quote, Despises thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of his long suffering? And then I'm paraphrasing the parenthesis right here. And he has a colon right there in the word, but now he's going to go on and explain it. And he goes on to say, not knowing, that means you can add a parenthesis there, put you, you not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee, and you can put your name in there, in parenthesis, leadeth thee to repentance. So every good thing in your life can only come from God. If it's not, if it's a pseudo good, it doesn't, it doesn't come from God. If it professes itself and, and convinces itself and produces itself and, and then produces itself as good, then it has come from God. Any good thing in your life, your wife, your husband, your children, the life you live, the job you have, the way you live, the freedom from pain and suffering, the hope that you have within you, which is the beginning of faith. It's by good things that are happening for the unbeliever to draw them to God. Otherwise, they can know only a pseudo good, that which appears to be good or is near good. It is like false gold. It's not the real thing. You see, God has a mayday receiver. In, in the military flying, we used to have, and I, I guess it's, uh, it goes to ships and also too, and people use it even in the secular world, and even in the casual world too. Uh, you see, God has a mayday receiver. For the unsaved, sometime he can hear, oh God, help me in those dire situations when they, they've run out of their options. Oh God, save me. Help me. He can hear just the desperate prayer of a believer or an unbeliever when they, when they're certainly hurt or wounded or bruised and their and their mind can't catch up and they will say Jesus, the unsaved they they say the word they don't understand what they're saying. the The believer when suddenly it happens and their mind is in shock. But yet their soul cries out, Jesus, he hears that. To his believers, his children, he always hears. And he has the choice of his responses. Because he goes on to say in his word, and this is a cautionary word, a, a, a picture of scripture. He, he says to one in their soul that they would say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And then he puts a colon there in that scripture also, speaking through the person's thoughts. But verily, 
God hath heard me. He hath attended to my voice of my prayer. So if we'll deal with the situation and we feel that prompting in us, if I, re, if I have a sin, iniquity in my heart that I need to, to, to address and get clean before God, you see, there's nothing worse that I feel for a believer than to feel that they are estranged in any fashion. They can't, they can't unless they denounce the, their relationship to God and they stray. There's going to be that separation between them and the Holy Spirit. And they're going to feel that regarding of, of iniquity because sin is iniquity. And they're, they're going to have a desire to get back and they're going to deal with that. And they go on to say then, the God will, will not hear me. But verily, I, God hath heard me. We can have that assurance. He heard me. He, he may choose how he's going to answer me, but he is, con, he is attending to the voice of my prayer. He's considering that. So to the faithful, now it goes on to say to the faithful, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us. Now that's a general plural statement, we can make a singular statement to you or me in those kind of things. We can understand. Now, thanks be unto God who always causes, I like to put me in there, me to triumph in Christ Jesus. That is a promise to the believer. If we get all of these things dealt with in our life, then that can be a deliverance statement that we can stand on no matter how bad our circumstances get. Only true believers possess the formula required to get to God. Unbelievers, they can cry out to him, but they don't have the formula. They just have the drawing. But only true Christians, and I say, I put that this, the, the condition in there because there's a lot of people who claim to be believers, but they're only believers. They only say, I'm Christian in, in name form, and then they go on, or they give an indication there in, in a, a believer. And I'm thinking of many, many politicians now. They, they woo through words the Christian believers to get their vote, but then they turn right around and they say dirty words or they swear and they all use curse words. And so the word says by their future, you'll know them. So, but believers only have that true way to get to God. And the psalmist gave this formula and methodology to get to God in the spirit and is found in Psalm 100. This is a wonderful overview of how to get to God, the true believer. Now, the true believer may not understand the academics and the verbiage of it, and that's not necessary because they have this 100th Psalm imprinted on their heart's pages. They understand the concept. They may not be able to quote chapter and verse or delineate the verbiage of it, but they understand it. Now, the astute person can look at this 100th Psalm and they can understand the verbiage that in that and they can witness to it. And I'm going to give you not, not the, the verbiage that's found in, this, in the King's English there uh, of the, of the mid-1600s, uh, 
But I'm going to give you the translations how they, the people of the first century would have heard this psalm when it was written about that particular time in the first century in the Hebrew. And it goes on to say, and I'm trans- translating now the 100th Psalm into the, the Hebrew understanding and, and, and related uh, intercourse on this, uh, on this thought. It says, make a shouting exclamation unto the self-existent eternal Jehovah. And it uses there the Tetragrammaton, J-H-V-H. That's the Tetragrammaton, Tetragrammaton for the word for God, the Hebrew word for God without the vowels. So make a shouting exclamation unto the self-existent eternal Jehovah. Work for the Lord until you become willfully enslaved to him with gleefulness, gleefulness. Come before his faith, celebrating in celebrations. Come from your other place through this opening that he made a force to you to get into his presence while acting as a gatekeeper. You're going to guard the entrance there with, with your soul and with your actions and come in there with your adorations to him. Come into this enclosure with him singing to his deeds, proclaiming his deeds and harms, sins and uh, uh in hymns and in psalms and in your heart, the Bible knows say in another place. And he goes on to say in this hundredth Psalm, direct your outstretched arms toward him, reaching out toward him as prefacing a hug, an embracement. Kneel before him in adoration. During a, by doing that, you're humbling yourself, you're bowing before him and we see this in 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 non-Christian terms. People bow before other people, but only a Christian is to bow their knee to anyone or anything except the God of the Bible. And it says, kneel before him in adoration to his conspicuous position, authority, and character. If you meditate on this, I hope you listen to this podcast because I guarantee you, you'll get more out of it every time you listen to it. There's a lot of meat in here for you. I think God put this together for me to give to you just to bless you and encourage you to take the next step. Consider the Pentecostal movement. Look into it. And also in your Christian experience, you can put all most of this stuff into your practice right away. But if you go through the Pentecostal experience, these things will mean so much more to you. And I would close here by just giving a word to the closing of this, especially the 100th Psalm, as we just elaborated upon. And this is Dr. Lee just simply saying, Amen, or which just simply means, so be it in your life is my desire and prayer. Amen. Farewell.